You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Rashawn Evans, and you're listening to the No Nonsense Podcast. Welcome into No Nonsense, a Tennessee Titans podcast, your place to go for on-demand Titans coverage that is 100% free of the nonsense that we always see in sports talk these days. I'm Luke Horsham, joined by the other two hosts of No Nonsense, Matthias Wadner and Will Lomas. We have got a lot to talk about today because guess what happened this weekend? The 2021 NFL Draft, the Titans added eight players to their roster through the 2021 NFL Draft, and we're going to talk about each and every one of them today. We're going to go player by player, break them down, talk about what they're going to add to the Titans, perhaps what they're not going to add to the Titans. But first, I want to get to two sort of overarching topics about the draft as a whole. First, I want to talk about the overall draft strategy and what you think the Titans accomplished in terms of the team as a whole in this draft. And then I want to talk a little bit about the wide receiver situation because that's obviously a big deal and a lot of fans are complaining about the fact that they didn't add a receiver on the first two days. So we'll get to those two topics and then we'll go player by player. Let's start with overall strategy, guys. Coming out of this, do you think the Titans are are better, plateaued? I mean, I feel like obviously they're better because they're adding talent to the roster. What did you think about the overall strategy? of this draft class by John Robinson. I mean, it seems like they just wanted to keep addressing the defense, which is kind of what they did um, through, through free agency. And that kind of carried over to the draft. Uh, I mean, taking two cornerbacks with two, yeah, two cornerbacks with two of their four top 100 picks. I think that's pretty clear. Plus add a linebacker in there also, uh, although they traded down for him, I, I think they might have gone gone sniped uh, at 85, and that's probably why they 
Uh, they moved down and ended up taking Monty Rice. Um, but yeah, it just seemed like I, I I feel like they're not as concerned, at least as I am, with the wide receiver and tight end position. Uh, I know they took a wide receiver in the fourth round, but we were pretty sure there there was no way they were going to come out of the first two rounds without you know one of the elite receivers in this in this draft class. But that didn't see that didn't work out. Uh, and maybe there was a disconnect between what we thought they needed and what the Titans actually thought they needed. So uh, I, I don't know if the draft strategy was correct, and, and I don't know if that's if what they did is exactly what they they went into it wanting. Uh, I feel like they got sniped both in the second round and the third round at 85. Maybe I'm wrong, uh, but that's how I feel, and I'm not totally sure. Uh, Redunce and Monty Rice were the guys they really wanted to take. Uh, I think Farley and Molden, without a doubt, they were probably locked in on and probably really high on their boards. Um, but the rest, I'm not so sure about. Yeah, th- this was an interesting draft because it was the first time where it really felt like Robinson was just sitting back and he was like, look, there's players we like in every round. If they fall to, you know, if, if we can't trade up for guys we want, on a deal that makes sense for us, we're not going to do it. Otherwise we're just going to sit still because I mean, we talked about it. There are guys that they clearly liked. Like I'm sure they liked Diami Brown. Like I'm sure they liked uh, Tommy Trimble, the tight end. Like there's guys that I'm sure they, they wanted to draft, but they were never in a position where even if they had talks about trading up, they weren't going to give up a bunch to do it. And when, and when you look at the class, it's just a bunch of value. It's, you know, you recreate the Jeffrey Simmons thing with you take a guy who should go top 10 and you take him in, you know, I think they took Simmons at 19 and then uh, this is obviously 22 and then Raidens was there at, you know, 53 and they just were okay with that. Like, I mean, they just did that the whole time, even doubling down on corner with Molden. So uh, I, I don't know how I feel about it just in general, because I think... I think the idea of taking value whenever, like consistently, makes sense to a point. But then I think once you get to like the third round, you should start moving around for guys if you really like them. But it, it'll be a good litmus test because for everybody out there who is screaming, "Don't trade up! You need depth. You need you need to make sure you've got guys on the roster who are cheap and all that." I don't necessarily agree with all that. I think that's just kind of an idealized thing where people look back and they're like, wow, if we didn't trade our fifth round pick, we could have gotten this guy. And it's like, you, you don't even know they were looking at that guy. Like 31 other teams missed, you know, the one pro bowler every three or four years that comes from the fifth round. So it, don't expect that if he was there, the Titans would have taken him. So, you know, Robinson stuck and picked for all the premium picks. And then he actually trade down and added picks uh, later in the draft, and then he moved around later on day three. But he kind of just let value fall to him where he liked it in the first three rounds. So, I, I mean, in theory, everybody says this is the way you do it. And like I said, we'll see because the, those are all talented players that almost all of them overdrafted uh, or their value exceeded their draft position. So, I mean, we'll see. But I, I like the class as a whole. But I don't love the strategy, even though everybody kind of agrees that's the way you should do it. I really respect what the Titans did in this draft class. And, and Will, you and I were were talking Thursday night, or excuse me, Friday night, 
and I think I had this moment where we were talking, and I'm like, man, you know, they didn't get the receiver, and and the linebacker from Georgia was kind of a weird pick. Man, I hate this. This is just awful. And then I had this moment where I'm like, hold up, hold up. What did we complain about all season long? The defense. The defense sucked. It was awful. It was unwatchable. And so what did they do? They purged the defense. Dory Jackson, out of here. Malcolm Butler, who wasn't part of the problem but was owed a lot of money, out of here. Kenny Vaccaro, getting older, getting slower, out of here. Right, all these guys that were starters on the defensive front are not going to be starters on the defensive front in 2021. And what did they do? Well, they got a little older at one position, Janoris Jenkins. But everywhere else, they got younger, they got faster, and they got deeper. And the Titans are going to have something. Vrabel and, and Bowen are going to have something in 2021. And, and this was sort of the, the premise of my wrap-up column that I put out on Saturday. Vrabel and Bowen are going to have something in 2021 that they did not have in 2020. And even if you don't like Bowen, and if you think Vrabel's scheming ability is questionable, which I do, you have to agree with this. They're going to be a whole lot better this year because they're going to have options. You know, I asked Vrabel Friday night, I said, you know, when you're thinking about cornerback, because we so often get caught up in, well, this guy's a perimeter cornerback and this guy's a slot cornerback. I said, do you think of it that way or is it just, let's just get the best three on the field when it's nickel? And he said, well, you know, what we what we want to do is is look at a matchup and say, you know, and these aren't his exact words, I'm paraphrasing, but, you know, maybe this week we're facing a smaller slot guy, all right, and so we're going to put Christian Fulton on him or, 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 or maybe – Next week, it's a, it's a smaller but a little feistier guy, and so we're going to put Elijah Molden on him this week. And then maybe we're playing the Saints in week seven, week 18, excuse me, or whenever that's going to be, and we're playing Michael Thomas in the slot, and he's their best receiver, and he's big, and so we're just going to put Caleb Farley in the slot. You know, but, but Vrabel's he didn't say those exact players, and he didn't give those exact examples, but his answer was sort of, we want to base that week in and week out on the types of receivers we are facing. And that was an ability the Titans did not have in 2020. The only ability they had back then was, all right, we're going to put Malcolm Butler on the right, and we're going to hope and pray, you know, like Will always jokes, you know, hope, please drop the pass everywhere else, and we're going to line Jonathan Joseph 15 yards off the line of scrimmage and hope that we don't die on this snap. Well, now the Titans have this core at cornerback of these four players, Molden, Janoris Jenkins, Christian Fulton, and, of course, the Golden Goose now, Caleb Farley, that they can mix and match based on what they're seeing the opposition. Last year, the pass rush strategy was work Harold Landry to death and hope for the best everywhere else. They're going to have they're not going to have that problem this year because you have Dupree and Landry as your big guns, and then you're going to be able to go to Weaver. You're going to be able to go to who's the fourth-round draft pick. You're going to be able to go to Danico Autry, perhaps, as a sub-package edge pass rusher. They added some talent on the interior defensive line through undrafted free agents. So now we go to the linebacker where if either Evans or Brown got hurt, which happened last year, you're over because David Long is not an every-down player in the NFL. He's a good role player. And so they go get this Rice guy who's going to come in and be a good third inside linebacker and give them what? There's that word again, options. Go get Brady Breeze in the sixth round, this very smart, instinctive player who probably going to start right away, may not make the team, but if he does, I think he's going to be an important piece for them as depth at safety. So they took this defense that, that the three of us certainly, and I think every Titans fan, 
complained about over and over and over again, and they said, yeah, it was bad. We think so, too. We're not going to blame Bowen. We don't think it was his problem. We disagree with that, obviously. But at least they then said, we do think it's the player's problem, and they didn't just do something about it. They did some things about it. They did a lot to purge that defense, to totally revamp it, and not only is it going to look different in terms of the players running around out there, right around seven new starters you're going to see in 2021, it's going to be a lot faster, a lot less tired, I think. And naturally, I think that defense is going to improve dramatically in 2021. Yeah, before we talk too much about that, just because I want to let Matias jump in, but I, I do want to say there is precedent to them – moving corners around like they tried to do it last year they shouldn't have the guys for it we saw the most successful three game stretch was where they had king is the dedicated slot slot corner and then they were moving malcolm butler with the bigger guy and then they were using whoever else was opposite him to target the faster guy and that was the most successful stretch they had on defense so that there is some validity there to say like and again definitely not a Shane Bowen apologist. I don't think anybody on this podcast is like, we all don't think that he was the right option, but Shane Bowen. uh, Yeah. I said, no, I said, said no, like I'm not. Oh, I I thought you said who. And I was like, I was like, I would forgive you for not knowing who that was or putting a mental block in there or pressing that. But uh, like if, if they're going to ride with, he just didn't have his guys. Robinson says, okay, here, let me invest everything in the defense and give you uh, basically like an 80% new defense uh, that you agree on. And then if you don't succeed with that, you're gone. So yeah, sorry, Matias, you, you can, you can talk now. I didn't mean to jump you, but I wanted to say that. No, it's all, it's all good. Any point of view on, on Shane Bowen, uh, not messing this up is, is welcome. And yeah, I agree. They definitely have a lot more talent. I think they're going to have more versatility. They definitely have more depth. Uh, I hope it ends up mattering because I would hate to see a lot of these talented players go to waste, uh, which we kind of saw last year because Shane Bone and Mike Vrabel just didn't seem to know uh, where to play them or, or, or how to match them up, how to give them rest at times. Uh, it was just a disaster, and I, I honestly, I don't think it could get worse, even if they brought back most of the same uh, players. But they didn't. They went out. They addressed uh, pretty much every position group, uh, and I, I'm hoping it works out. I, I do agree with the with the cornerback uh, things you guys talked about. There's just a lot of versatility there. Like I could see Farley playing in the slot with ease. Janoris Jenkins is strictly a boundary cornerback. Uh, but, but Elijah Molden, Caleb Farley, those guys seem to be able to play both inside uh, and outside, although Molden is more in the mold of a slot cornerback. Uh, and then you have to also take into account that Chris Jackson wasn't terrible when he played in the slot last year. Amani Hooker can line up with some of these slot guys also because he's just a very good coverage uh, safety slash nickel cornerback. Uh, Breon Borders was also good last year, and he's also going to have, you know, a, a role as that fifth cornerback. So there are a lot of guys that should be good. I hope, I hope uh, Shane Bowen and Mike Vrabel don't make it seem uh, as if they are terrible players with uh, a lot of their schematic decisions. And if that happens, 
then we know what the issue is because there really aren't any more excuses, especially when you take into account the fact that they added Bud Dupree, uh, they added Rashad Weaver, they might still add an edge like Ryan Kerrigan in free agency. There are no excuses. If the defense is as bad or, you know, only 5% better than last year, then Shane Bowen's gone. And, and that's how it should be because there's enough talent uh, on the on the defensive side of the ball for them to be at least average, at least average. And the good thing is there's not a lot of scheme-specific players that they've added. So if they do switch schemes next year, they don't. it's not like they spend a lot on a nose tackle or somebody who's limited to a certain type of scheme. Same thing with inside linebackers. Like, really all they've done is add really talented cover players and really talented pass rushers. So even if you say, like, okay, we're going to run an over front this year and we're going to have three defensive linemen and one edge and we're going to do all that stuff we did last year, well, then if that goes terribly next year, it's like you're still loaded up to do whatever you want. So if you go Jim Schwartz defensive coordinator and you go wide nine, all the bodies can stay out there. Like, you still have that same talent that translates. What? So that that's – I think that's – kind of a hidden thing in all this is they didn't lock themselves into anything specific. Another thing that I think will help them this year is, you know, I think Jim Schwartz is going to vomit when he sees that they want to play Harold Landry or Bud Dupree off the ball on like half the snaps. Uh, I I don't think that's going to happen at at near the volume we've seen it in the past. I think, uh, I think Jim Schwartz is going to help them fix some of those seemingly to us anyway, obvious problems. Let's move on to the receivers before we get into pick-by-pick. Obviously, they they got Des Fitzpatrick in the fourth round. We'll get to him in just a little bit. But they didn't get one of the big guys. They didn't get a a real difference maker at Des Patrick. Des Des Fitzpatrick is more of like a, you know, you plug him in and and he's better than, like, you know, the Nick Westbrook-Ikeens of the world, but... Certainly not as a rookie, he's going to be making, I don't think, any sort of uh, major difference for this team. So, uh, how concerned are you, and 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 what needs to happen now? I mean, I'm, stro- I, I'm scrolling through the list of free agent wide receivers on the market still, and unlike edge pass rusher, where I think there are some, some, still some talented players like Ryan Kerrigan, Justin Houston out there, uh, this list is very, very underwhelming. Most of these guys were either draft busts or like low round picks that got cut. Like I'm looking at like Laquan Treadwell, Didi Westbrook, Taywan Taylor. Obviously, that's not going to happen. But just to give you an idea of the quality of player we're talking about, Josh Gordon is someone that you don't want the headache with. Larry Fitzgerald is Arizona or bust. Golden Tate's 33 years old. Will, I know you like him. I'm going to have to disagree with you on that one just because of the age. Um, What's next? Is it a trade for Julio? Is it a trade for someone else? Do they have to do something else for it to work? I don't know if they have to do something else for it to work because it worked last year. Yeah, they had Corey Davis, but, I mean – after him, no one really did anything. Adam Humphreys was injured for the duration of the season, pretty much. Khalif Raymond and Cameron Batson had some contributions, uh, and they played a good amount of snaps. 
but if you give Reynolds and Des Fitzpatrick some of those snaps, most of those snaps, I mean, uh, like it's fine. It, it, it's passable. Yeah, I would have liked to see them get maybe a better prospect earlier in the draft. I don't know where it could have happened because at 22, they were locked in on Caleb Farley, I'm pretty sure. As soon as he fell to them, like that was that was a lock. Uh, if Farley wasn't there, I don't know if they would have gone with Elijah Moore at 22. And we talked about whether Elijah Moore's value lined up with the 22nd overall pick in the draft. Uh, Bateman just wasn't was not going to happen, I don't think. Uh, and then second round, I would have liked if they went with Terrace Marshall. I think that would have been a good pick and probably the pick I would have made. Uh, but it's possible that they just didn't medically clear him because he had a co- some medical concerns. And it's possible that the Titans medical staff just didn't clear him. And we we won't know. Uh, but it's, it's a real possibility and something we have to take into account. Then in the third round, I think they would have taken Diami Brown if, if he was there at 85. But he got taken three picks before. And none of the other receivers just, just made any sense at that pick. So I can't fault them too much for, for not attacking it given given the value on some of those receivers that were there at their picks. I, I think they're fine with Reynolds and, and Des Fitzpatrick as the two and three. Uh, I watched a little bit of Des Fitzpatrick today before the pod. I like him. I, I think he's got a little, a little bit of potential. Uh, I can't really think of, of a pro comparison for him, but he's tall. He kind of goes up, gets the ball. He comes back, work, works back towards the ball. Uh, and he has some deceptive speed that I, I didn't really see coming. Uh, he's also He was also really, uh, really productive at Louisville uh, in, in the ACC with not, not great offenses and not stellar quarterback play. Yeah, he played with Lamar Jackson, but Lamar Jackson was more of a runner anyway. Uh, and I think he only played with him for one year, I think his freshman season. And he had 700 yards, nine touchdowns. So, I mean, that's pretty impressive. So uh, I, I'm looking forward to seeing uh, how he'll do in this offense. I, I wouldn't hate if they went out and, and traded for someone. I don't think Julio's worth it. Uh, maybe this is a hot take. I don't know what it's going to take to get him. Uh, you're going to have to pay him a ton of money. And he's already 32 years old. Uh, he's entering the twilight of his career. I know he's still good. Uh, but he's getting up there in age, and there aren't that many mid-30s receivers that are, are still uh, performing all that well. Plus, he has injury issues. He's had them for, for the last couple of seasons. I know he's not missed too many games, uh, but he's had these nagging injuries, and that and just scares me uh, as a 32-year-old to give up too much compensation. Let me say here what I said last week when I guest co-hosted the Tighten Up podcast, and that's that when you're a player of Julio Jones' caliber, that generational elite talent you know rare athleticism one or two guys every 10 years at your position when you're that level of player and you start to get older you've got some room to fall and to regress before you your effectiveness ceases you know take someone like a a Corey Davis who's a good player but you know when, when Corey Davis starts to age, it's, it's going to be close to over for him because he didn't start that high to begin with. But when you're someone like a Julio Jones, who, again, Corey Davis is a good player, but we're talking about someone that is just this elite, phenomenal category, you've got farther to fall. And I think we've seen that over the years with 
an extreme example like Randy Moss, who had a second life with the Patriots in his 30s, but also what we've seen in the last uh, year or so from J.J. Watt when he's been able to stay healthy. Th- those sort of generational guys have some room to fall, I think. And for a second-round pick, which is what Peter King thinks it would cost the Titans or any other team to get Julio, uh, I'd you know, sign me up for that. And I think, Will, you agree with that. Yeah, like I, I don't know if he's the top guy I would target necessarily. Not not that I have anything against him, but like, yeah, it, there's a lot of reasons to think he would work if he was in Tennessee. Like, he's been productive on a per catch basis and a per game basis. Like, he just has had injuries. But the Titans roll out their receivers a lot more than anybody seems to acknowledge. Like, Cam Batson and Khalif Raymond played 49 percent of the snaps last year. Uh, on offense this isn't like a special teams and everything I mean, this is just as wide receivers like they rotate their guys out they go with heavy packages they'll bring extra offensive linemen in they'll bring fullbacks in they'll, they'll get their guys on the sidelines that they want to rest so that they can be fresh to make those explosive plays so I, I don't I don't know that I would necessarily need to go out for somebody of Julio's name to really like increase the standing of these this wide receiver room but having said that, I would love to have Julio. Like, A.J. Brown would love to have Julio. The, the Titans organization would love to have a veteran like that in the building. Like, it, it it feels very much like a move they would make if it's available. And it would, I mean, it would obviously be an improvement. I'll say this, too. This is a name I've seen thrown around. I think adding O.J. Howard would potentially kill two bugs with two birds with one's two bucks. Two birds with one stone. Because you'd get Two your tight, you get your tight end, uh, but you could also then have OJ OJ Howard as sort of this hybrid flex wide receiver tight end. You can do the same thing with Ferguson. Howard's probably more of an inline player than Ferguson is to begin with. It's why he was such a popular player back when he was a draft prospect. Uh, I wouldn't be opposed to that uh, trading the Buccaneers for him. The Bucks who. Uh, they're starting tight ends, a future Hall of Famer, and then they've got Cameron Brait behind him. I'd be, I'd be for that. I, I think he has a lot of untapped potential, and he kind of started to show it last year before, before he tore his Achilles. He, he had some connections with Tom Brady that were kind of inspiring for him and, and his, his future. Uh, I'd, I'd be down for that because I'm very, I, I know most people aren't, or at least I don't seem to be. I know Will thinks. And really matter in this offense, or at least that's what the Titans think. Uh, I'm concerned about the tight end position. I think it would be crazy going to this season with Anthony Ferks or Jeff Swaim and what's his name, Jared Pinckney, as as the top three. Uh, I just don't think that's a recipe for success, especially because Ferks has just never been a full time player. Uh, he's not a very good blocker, and then Jeff Swaim has been cut by the Cowboys and the Jaguars, like. He's just not – he's not great. Like, he's serviceable as, like, a third tight end, but I would I would not be too thrilled about that being the top three in the tight end room going into the season. Yeah, well, first of all, tight end doesn't really matter in this offense, just if, if while we're talking about it. Like, they got almost nothing from Johnny Smith as a receiver, and he was – a little bit overrated as a blocker. Like he, he did have a good stretch and he was good, you know, last year and the year before, like he was an adequate blocker, but it's not like he was Kittle bowling people over. I mean, he wasn't 
it, you know, he wasn't some massive imposing force. He His main calling card, which y'all know, was just catching passes and going down. Like, not like an, a Humphreys or anything, but he would make tough catches where he would go up and high point it and he would just be able to hang on. And that's that's great. But it's not impossible to replace. So, and I think the Titans showed us that. I mean, John Robinson's only spent one pick in his entire career with the Titans on a tight end, and it was John New Smith. Like, the Titans run two tight end formations more than anybody or almost anybody in the NFL. You would think if they really valued that position or thought that you needed to spend picks on it, that they would spend more picks on it, especially in a year like this year where at one point they had 10 picks. So, I don't know. Like, I think I think there's something to them not valuing that. As for O.J. Howard, I don't know. Like, it feels a lot like we've said he's got untapped potential for 10 years now. Like, going back to Alabama, like, he was supposed to be a guy who produced better in the NFL than he did in college. And there's some of that, but it's, I mean, it, I don't know. Like, he, there's always an excuse to be made for him. There's always something wrong. There's always, you know, I, I don't I don't know that. I can see the Titans giving up a giving up a pick for a tight end like that. It, I, I just I don't know if I see it, but I mean I do like I li- liked him coming out of college. Like I haven't watched him intently enough to know whether he's a better blocker or if he can play H back or anything like that. Like, but I mean he's obviously a better blocker than Ferkser, but I just I'm not sure. Let's get to these picks. Let's start at the top. Caleb Farley, the Titans selection. At pick number 22 in the first round of the 2021 NFL Draft. Loved a player. I think we all three are, are totally sold on Caleb Farley as a player. Supposedly a 4-2 guy. You know, based on that miles per hour number we've seen thrown around. Around 24, he's the fastest player in the NFL. But regardless of if that's true, this is a true difference maker at cornerback a la... Patrick Peterson, Jalen Ramsey, Akib Talib, Chris Harris Jr. in his prime. Those guys who week in and week out, you give to the other team's number one receiver and you say, go have fun. I mean, he, he, he made that comment in his, in his press conference where I think it was Buck asked him, what is your fit? What do you, where are you where do you fit best in a defense? And and he said, My best fit in a defense is Caleb, go take that guy away. And, and that also points to another thing with Caleb Farley that I love, which is his attitude. Will, you've shared some some quotes from like Titans Radio that that I haven't heard, and so I'll I'll let you get into some of that. But I mean the things he was saying on his on his press conference where he was asked about teams doubting him because of his medicals and we'll get into that certainly where he said you know I got to a point where I wanted someone who wants me and everybody else you know play against me almost like you know have fun with this um I I really like this guy he's attitude it's like he's got that Malcolm Butler leadership feistiness tone setting attitude that we saw out of him for three years in the body of a top 10 NFL draft pick. Uh, the only way this pick can go wrong, in my eyes, is if the medical stuff doesn't check out. This is not going to be like that uh, Justin Gilbert, that Browns cornerback who everyone thought was stupendous and just totally blew chunks. This dude is awesome. 
if he plays. And that's a big if, I think. It is a big if. Um, and that's really the only question mark. Like, no one had a lot of negatives um, to pick about his game coming into this draft. The only issue was that back surgery that he had, uh, and he might need another one. I don't know if there will be lingering long-term effects. I, I really don't know uh, the logistics or the details of it. But if we're basing purely on on-field play, like he looks like a true shutdown quarterback. He is just everywhere. He's really feisty. He's like one of those cornerbacks that just gets up in your face. Um, and he just doesn't give up big plays and he has really good like ball production. He has seven pass passes deflected and two interceptions uh, as a freshman. And then as a sophomore, he had four interceptions and 12 pass deflections. He even brought one, one of them back for a pick six. Uh, I watched his game against Miami earlier today. I mean, oh my God, he looked like he looked better than Jalen Ramsey. And I know it's college, and I know he was playing against the Hurricanes, who were trotting out Nikozi Perry and Jaron Williams out there. But he looks fantastic. And, and if that miles per hour uh, stat is real, that that said he was he was running faster than Tyree Kill out there at one point. I mean, that's insane. That's just another plus. Uh, to what already looks like a true shutdown cornerback on tape, and I'm really excited. Uh, you're right about the his attitude; it's it's infectious. He has a really nice personality, uh, and, and he kind of got me going just with with a lot of the videos he had uh, on draft night. I did feel I felt kind of bad because uh, he had done that negative uh, COVID test uh, the day of, but he still couldn't celebrate with his family. Uh, and it was kind of sad. Like he he did the the post the post uh, the post draft press conference like from his car, and he was just alone. It, it was it was a little weird, and I felt kind of sad for him. But hopefully he can uh, celebrate with his family soon. Uh, and he seems like a high character guy. Also, I I don't think this is a guy we're we're ever going to have issues with. Yeah, I want to jump back yeah. in real fast. One quote I remembered uh, to continue on his attitude is he was asked. Uh, what's your mentality on the receivers you when you're facing a receiver? And he said, my mentality is they're not on my level. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> like, yeah, I just love that. And, and Matthias, you mentioned the sort of infectious nature of him. And, and I brought up Malcolm Butler. I can tell you from, from watching Malcolm Butler practice for three years – that dude set the tone every day. It was it, he, he for that defense and that secondary, but but the whole unit. He set the tone with his attitude, and he came out of that building fired up every day. That's who this guy is. Except he's six two and like <laughs> runs a exactly. Four two, so. He's Malcolm Butler yeah, in a like, top ten draft picks body. Yeah, with, with yeah, so. I'll, I'll I'll talk about some of the quotes. I, I've also I've always said that cornerback uh, you have to be a little bit crazy because you get put on an island so much more than any other position in football. Like if you're a wide receiver, you go in the huddle and you know you talk to everybody and all that kind of stuff. If you're a safety, you've got somebody next to you that you're communicating with. If you're a boundary corner and you're by yourself, the the closest teammate you could have could be you know ten yards away from you. Like I mean, you, you just may not be close to anybody. So. 
you have to be a little bit crazy and you've got to be able to be super confident and not let stuff rattle you. And that's exactly the kind of dude he is with his quotes. And like, you see it when he plays, he's super aggressive and he's got the athleticism to back it up. Like we've talked about, but the, the quote that I think is super funny is Mike Keith said, uh, on, I think it was the post round one, uh, recap or whatever. He was, he had walked, uh, Caleb Farley through the stadium and was like, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he said offhandedly, Caleb Farley just out of nowhere was like, hey, who's the fastest guy on the team? And Mike Keith was like, uh, you know, I actually don't know. Uh, and he was like, me. And I'm like, what a crazy thing to say. I love um, that. I love that. To just be like, hey, who's the fastest guy you know? It's it's great. It's like, who's the fastest guy you know? And it's like, oh, I don't know. It's like, it's me. There you go. And I'm like, that's just a Like, he wouldn't ask, like, does he think he has this? It's not a typical, like, you know, Jack Conklin, like Derek Henry, like humble guy, like, and, and obviously there's nothing wrong with those guys. They're great. But, you know, LaShawn Sims was like that too, to name somebody who's not a, an all pro. Like he was just a quiet guy, but you know, it, it's, it's cool to have that. Like Michael Griffin said that he reminded him of Cortland Finnegan, like instantly, like, you, you know, there's, there's a lot of positive buzz about having that kind of attitude and, you know, to have, a position to a position change from quarterback to wide receiver coming from high school to college, then from wide receiver to defensive back to tearing your ACL to having a back injury and to basically not, not to be actually upset when somebody asks you like, how's your back doing? But to be at the point where you're so confident that you're healthy, that it's almost like if somebody's making small talk with you and you have to go through it where it's like, uh, the weather's fine. Like to him, his back injury is so far in the past and you can see it when you like it happened because of a deadlifting incident. So he just deadlifted incorrectly, did too much weight. He was trying to put on muscle, all that kind of stuff. And he just deadlifted improperly and he messed up his vertebrae. And uh, I think it's Mike Herndon did uh, looked up a whole bunch of stuff about, you know, what the re-injury rate is and all that. Uh, long story short, there's not a lot of long-term concern. Like it, the ACL injury, he's pretty much out of the woods for for like a re a serious re-injury risk, and the back stuff is relatively limited data. But all in all, the data that that he found was that it's not really that dangerous. It's a, the 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 re-aggravation rate seems low, so everybody got scared like they do during the draft that they're going to invest too much and make a major mistake. John Robinson, to his credit has done this consistently with injury things that he feels that his medical team has adequately provided details for, which they, I mean, talk about being locked into a guy that back at the uh, senior bowl or no, the, uh, the medical rechecks in Indianapolis, which were really the only time you could get your medical personnel on, you know, with a specific player, uh, Robinson talked about how they sought out and like basically ran and grabbed him before anybody else could yeah. and took him and did whatever whatever stuff they needed to do and they felt confident enough. And so all the reports about people not being, you know, oh I've got him off my board, all that kind of stuff. I would say that's more of a smokescreen slash they didn't know because they didn't get firsthand stuff with him. They didn't get to test him firsthand, so they weren't willing to take that sort of risk, not knowing. However, Paul Kaharski said that, you know, he looked, he talked to two or three other teams and they said that they'd medically cleared him. So it's not like the Titans were the only team willing to take this risk. It's just, yeah. it's, it's not, it's not fun to report, oh, he's actually fine. It's fun to report, mm -hmm. wow, this guy that we've been mocking in the top 10 forever is going to fall out of the first round. 
Yeah. So that, that there's that too. So basically what I'm saying is great pick. And, and I think, and I was, to, when this pick was made and we were, the three of us were talking, I said, well, I'm really looking forward to these, these press conferences because like, I think we all had several questions jump to our mind immediately. My first question was, is this dude going to play this year? More importantly, is he going to play week one? And uh, Caleb Farley was asked that question by Teron Davenport. Are you going to play? You know, there are some people out there that say you're not going to be ready for training camp, and that's when he delivered the line of the century. I rebuke that in the name of Jesus. And then, and, and, and you know, in terms of the medicals, I thought that everything that was said and explained in those press conferences made a lot of sense and, and made me, as an analyst of this team, very confident in this pick. Uh, far, I asked Farley. I said, "There's some people who, like Benjamin Albright, reported that some teams think he needs more surgery." And he said, "That's completely false. He totally shut that down." Like I mentioned, he says he's going to play. He's going to be ready for training camp. Uh, like you said, John Robinson talked about how the Titans doctors got their hands on him. So this wasn't coming from a pool report because it's being a COVID year, you didn't get to analyze every player you wanted to with your medical team. Titans did get to look at Farley. But the one quote that I didn't like was was John Robinson. I asked John Robinson the, quest, the question that Farley got asked. Is he going to be ready for training camp? And he did this, you know, the classic variable, you know, well, we're not going to have a timetable on it. And sure, but in my head, I'm thinking, you draft this guy at 22. You say the medical's checked out. We cleared him. Right, we're now getting this information that everyone else cleared him. This dude just came on with us and said, I rebuke that in the name of Jesus. Or maybe that came later. But And then Robinson says, well, we're not going to put a timetable on it. I'm like, why can't you just say, you know, that's why we drafted him. We drafted him to play for us. And, you know, he, our medicals cleared him. He looks good. And when we hit the field, Caleb Farley's going to hit the field too. I don't know why he couldn't just say that. He didn't want to want to set the precedent of actually answering a medical question for once in his career as head coach. So, but that was uh, Robin, I mean, this was Robinson. Oh, was it was Ro- I thought it was uh, no. This was Robinson well, who said. And, no and time I will table. say, I will say, the player press conference came after the. It did, yeah. Now uh, that I remember. So yeah, so what may have happened is he they because of HIPAA laws and all that. They they tend to be more vague. Like they'd be like, I anticipate him playing and all like that that was probably what he should have said. But also he does know that Vrabel doesn't I mean, Vrabel is very much pro player, don't tell anybody you're hurt, like we'll sit you, just keep your mouth shut and we'll make sure you're healthy and like that kind of thing where it's just like we don't want to give anybody else any ammo. So sure he and and there's another factor to this, which Stefania Bell uh, from ESPN told Tehran on Twitter that the the reaggravation rate. She said, I guess I should have credited her earlier too, because she said this first that the uh, reaggravation rate for this injury is fairly low, especially considering like how long it's been since the original incident and all that. But the main thing is just to be patient with it. So they may feel confident, and there is a lot of validity to this too. They may feel confident that if Caleb Farley can't go in training camp, that's fine. They'll keep him on the same training camp schedule. They'll just delay it. So his quote unquote end of training camp may not be till the end of week two. And if he's ready to play before that, great. If he's not, 
that's okay because you've still got Jenkins, you've still got Christian Fulton, you've still got Elijah Molden, you've still got Breon Borders. You know, you've still got a bunch of talented defensive backs now that you've already retooled. And on top of that retool, you added a third round and a first round draft pick. So I, I think not putting a timetable on it is smart because he knows the, you know, he knows Kaharski's in there and he knows if he's not ready that he's going to call it out. So like why, why set yourself up for a potential like argument later? Like yeah. just be vague. And and that's the devil. But having said that, that's I'll the devil's like, that, yeah, that's the devil's yeah. advocate argument, I think. Um, but I love the pick. Matias, do you have anything else on Farley? No, just that the Titans always – they always bring their rookies along slow. Like, it doesn't matter even if they're injured or not, you know. They will – Yeah. very cautious. So, John Robinson probably just said that just in case that they bring Farley along slowly, just to not get any questions, honestly – Mm-hmm. Uh, plus, they really don't need to rush him. Like, I know the defense has to be better, but they went out, they signed Janoris Jenkins, who's going to start right away. Uh, they have Fulton in his second year. Uh, Chris Jackson played enough last year. Breon Borders played enough last year. Uh, they also have Elijah Molden, who's also a rookie, but seems ready-made for the slot. So, you know, he's probably just covering his bases. Let's move on to round two, where the Titans drafted North Dakota State tackle Dylan Radins. He played left tackle for North Dakota State, but he said in his introductory press conference that he's been training all offseason at both tackle spots just in case the team that drafted him wanted him to play right tackle. That's what the Titans are going to want him to play. Guys, I would not be shocked. This is just a gut. This isn't anything I've like heard or any indication I've seen. I think he's probably going to start week one at right tackle, barring some sort of significant learning curve, technical issue. But, but you know, reading the things I've read from guys like Dane Brugler and Will, you, I've talked to you about him, you who know infinitely more about offensive line technique than I do, it doesn't seem like there is any sort of major technique barrier like we were talking about with Isaiah Wilson last year. Like, like last year with Wilson, and, and take the character stuff out of it, I'm just talking about Wilson as a football player here. We were talking with Wilson like, you know, he's, he's got a lot of raw talent, he's really strong, and he's really big, but he needs to work on his kick-slide technique, and he needs to have better hand placement. I've really heard any of that with Raidens uh, at all, so I feel like he's probably going to start. This is obviously the Isaiah Wilson redo pick, and I, I like it. I, you know, we we the three of us agreed that tackle in the first round wasn't a good idea, but I certainly was also sitting there going, Man, I don't love the idea of trotting out Kendall Lamb or Ty Sambrilo for 17 games and then the playoffs. You know, I love both of those guys as my sixth tackle. Take either one of them as my sixth tackle. But I don't want them start, or my sixth offensive lineman, rather. I don't want them starting, my full-time starter. So, I like the pick. I think it's going to give them a lot more security, going to make life a lot easier on Ryan Tannehill and Derrick Henry, certainly. Yeah, uh, I'm kind of like it, on the fence with this pick because I think they could have just re-signed Dennis Kelly and they didn't have to do this. Uh, but I understand getting uh, a right tackle for the future. Uh, at, at first, I thought they probably got sniped on Owusu-Koromoa, who went literally one pick before them. 
uh, and Redunce, Radunce, I don't know how, Radunce, I think. Uh, he was probably just their highest guy on the board after that. But then I read uh, about Owusu Koromo's heart issue. Today, so he might have been off their board medically. Um, I'm okay with this pick. Uh, I, I'm okay with it. Like you, I was not feeling confident in Kendall Lamb and Ty Sombrilo. I know some Sam played well last year, but he's really just a swing tackle. He's really not a guy who you want starting over 16 games, I don't think. Uh, I don't know if Radunce is going to start immediately, but it does seem like he's ready to do it. Uh, but they do have a little precedence with uh, with uh, rookie offensive line because they, they drafted Nate Davis uh, in the third round a couple of years ago, and they brought him along slowly. I think Pam Field was a starting right guard. Uh, they even gave Jameel Douglas some some starts before him uh, until, you know, J- Jameel Douglas went full Jameel Douglas. And they just had to put uh, Nate Davis in there. So I, I hope they don't bring him along slowly. If he's ready to play, put him out there because the O-line is, is great. Uh, left tackle, left guard, center, right guard, we're in great shape. So if he has some growing pains, it's okay because the rest of the O-line is fine. Uh, but if he comes in and he's immediately good, the offense is going to be great for it. So uh, we'll see how they bring him along. But I'm okay with this pick, even though I did want Terrace Marshall. Like I said before, I think possibly his medicals didn't clear. So they went with the safer option and they got, hopefully, a right tackle for the next 10 years. Yeah, like it's always hard to say, like, he's anybody's going to be anything for the next whatever like but I, I do think he has the athletic profile like he's sort of a freak athletically like if he weighed 10 more pounds he'd be like one of the most athletic t- and he weighs 301 like he said he's going to try to come to camp or I, th- I think he said he was 310 or 315 at that point like, when he got drafted but I mean take take this for what, what it's worth because it doesn't really matter but it's like he ran a five one at six foot six, three hundred pounds. Like, I mean, his short cone was a seven two seven. His short was four five three, like thirty two inch vertical jump. Like, he he was really athletic. So that's good because if you're a smaller school guy, you need to be, you need to have the frame and you need to be athletic because if not, more than likely you're just overpowering people at your level. And getting away with a lot of like technique stuff that you probably can at the next level. I, I mean, I, I will be a Keith Carter apologist here because I've I've railed you know against him so hard earlier in his career. But I mean, he did a fantastic job with Nate Davis and with basically taking tackles off the street and saying like, "Here you are, starting tackle now. Go put up thirty points a game," and they've been able to do it. So you know. I, Giving him some a piece of clay as moldable as Dylan Radens is good. Like I, I, I'm all for it. Like, was it the right pick? I don't know. Like, I mean, I Robinson said a bunch of times before. He said that they pick players based on pods, and obviously he didn't feel the need to jump up in the draft to get anybody who was, you know, fallen because they they were in some elite tier or pod or whatever you want to say. And so he must have thought that this was one of those outcomes that could have happened. And, you know, like it, it's never a bad thing to get a cheap player at a premium position with high upside who gets a year to learn. Maybe, maybe he's the starter week one, maybe he's not, but 
they're not forced in anything. Sambrello can do it. Lamb can do it. Like, you know, you, you can, they'll all make the roster because they can all do so many things. But I mean, I don't have a problem with this pick in itself because I think it's good value at a premium position. Also, he has the frame and he also has experience at left tackle. I know we have Taylor Luan there, but Luan's about to be 30. He's had injury issues in the past. Uh, like, I don't know if Luan's going to retire soon, but if he does, this well, is kind uh, of an insurance policy. Here's here's the interesting thing is he said in his press conference, uh, and Luke, you know this too, that they told him to kind of know left guard and right guard too. So this could be if, for whatever reason, you, you're not up to snuff at right tackle, we want you to know behind Saffold. You know, we, we want you to know that if we have to use Brewer at center, that you're going to be our starting left guard for the next however long. Like, they want him to basically see where his best fit is. And and like I've said, there there's a lot to be said about drafting a moldable piece of clay and then just saying, look, we've got a good enough offensive line where we don't need you in year one, but we think you've got you know all-American talent, which is what he was. And it's like, we think that you're a guy, like a true above average, like pro bowl or near pro bowl caliber guy. We just need time to mold you. So let's do the same thing we did with Nate Davis. And maybe he ends up at left guard. And, you know, I, I now Lawan and Saffold should be there for as long as they're physically able. And exactly. Lawan will do it a lot longer than Saffold. So this is not a saying that they need to replace those guys. This is, this is a saying if that, that that's something that they may be considering and why he had more value. Do you think he starts season opener, guys? I don't think I don't. so. <laughs> See, no. I, I I wouldn't just, be surprised because I'm not, I, start young guys. He started AJ Brown, Ex- except for Chris Jackson. Chris Jackson's like the only guy. AJ Brown Every- tore up Cleveland his week one. Yeah, but he played like what fifty percent of the snaps. He's also AJ Brown, and who else did he have around him? Like. He, like Your I'm boy, sure Corey like, Davis. Yeah, but Corey Davis also started. Like, you Let's can't have start that conversation. How good or bad is Corey? No, we're not, we're not doing that ever again. Um, kill you. <laughs> Let's move on to round three, where the Titans made two picks, one of them the compensatory pick for losing guys like Mariota and Conklin in 2019. So I think the confusing pick of these two was Monty Rice, for two reasons, I think a lot of people say, did they really need a linebacker? And I, I mean, I'll admit, I was saying, or at least thinking, I can't remember if I ever put this on the record, but I remember thinking, I'm like, man, I think they could stand to add like an athletic, thumpy linebacker at some point. I don't know that I was really thinking this high in the draft to do it. But I mean, they did. They got Monty Rice from Georgia. Also a little confusing because I think his comp, in a lot of ways, is Rashawn Evans. Like you're reading his profile, it's like, hard hitter, plays the run well, uh, lacks vision to some extent, um, and isn't great in coverage. Like, Who does that sound like? Rashawn Evans. So that was the confusing one. And then they came back with their second one and took Elijah Molden, the cornerback from Washington who plays in the slot. Really talented football player. A lot of people think he was a bit of a steal for the Titans. The Rice pick was a trade down. They originally picked, I think, like eight or nine picks higher, moved it down, gained a fourth-round pick, which I liked because they missed out on some of the receivers like 
Sammy Brown, who who went a couple picks before they picked. They missed out on some of the tight ends who who went a couple picks before the Titans picked. What do you think of the third round haul, guys? The Monty Rice pick threw me for a loop. I'm gonna be honest. I had never heard of him in my entire life until until they called that name. So I was a little taken aback. But he played a lot. He played a lot in college. So I'm surprised that I had never like truly heard of him. Uh, and he played at Georgia, a premier program. He was rather productive, uh, but I, I don't know. I, I wasn't a huge fan of taking an inside linebacker there. Uh, I did see uh, a couple of his games. He does look like Nevis. Like, I'm not going to lie. He's kind of out of control. His limbs are just flying around everywhere, and he doesn't really know where he's going half the time. Uh, but and he makes who plays. does that he makes sound like? Who yeah, does that sound I like? Know. I, think, I know. Like, like, all I can I think, think of right now is that video that gets thrown around on Twitter of Evans just flying through the air at nothing. Yeah, yeah, they are they are similar, and I don't I don't doubt for a second that he's the direct replacement uh, for Evans. Uh, they already declined his, Rashawn Evans' fifth year option, so he's not going to be here for a while. And I think Monty Rice is probably just going to uh, slide in there unless David Long beats him out. We'll, we'll see. I think David Long is okay, uh, but they spent a higher draft capital on Monty Rice, so I assume they think higher of him. Uh, we'll see if he works out. I, I really don't know. The, the, he's one of the probably the biggest question mark uh, in, in this draft uh, for me for the Titans. Uh, and then the Elijah Molden pick, I didn't mind it. Like I thought that was good value. He's a really good player. He's instinctive. Uh, he's very smart. At least that's what it looks like on film. Uh, he does look a little bit like Cortland Finnegan, not only because of the skin tone, even the hair is kind of similar also uh they do look alike but they also play alike they're really he's really quick uh he's just flying around everywhere uh and he does seem like the best fit is just a nickel nickel cornerback uh i think he could play safety too in a pinch so i, I like that pick I, I did want them to go with a receiver uh but the receiver i wanted them to go with at that spot was probably tylen wallace from oklahoma state uh and it came out that he had a knee issue that a lot of teams were concerned about so Yet again, that's a guy that the Titans medical staff possibly uh, didn't even clear, and they ended up going with a different receiver instead of him uh, in the fourth round. So that just kind of goes to show that we may want a lot of these players, and we might think that these teams are stupid for passing on them, but it's possible that these players aren't even on their board to begin with. So, yeah, it's just something to think about. Yeah, the fact that they traded up, and this we're not there yet, but the fact that they traded up and avoided Amon Ross, St. Brown, and uh, Tylen Wallace tells us that that you know they they weren't looking for them to fall to them later. So, but on the day three step, like or on the day two step, I mean, I I like Elijah Molden. Like I think he's electric. I think he's somebody that I, I don't want to call him Tyron Matthew or anything like that, but he does play a sort of similar sometimes. Sometimes he's a safety. Sometimes they put him in the box. Sometimes they put him in slot corner. And it's like you may want to say, well, that's Vaccaro. But it's, it's not like Vaccaro. It's it's so much – like when he plays, it's so much more twitchy. It's like – and also he's 5'9", so it, it kind of gives you some of those Tyron Matthew vibes, just him being undersized and throwing his body in. But there there's plays where 
against Zach Wilson. There's one that he played BYU, Washington played BYU in 2019. And there's a play where Zach Washington throws it. And if his fingertips were just a half an inch longer, he would knock the ball. Like it's just perfect coverage. The guy drops it because Molden's in such great, such great coverage. But I mean, he's like right there. And then later he makes a one handed interception in the end zone. And it's like, Oh, yeah, like so he's either close to making plays or he's making plays. And when you've got a guy like that where if you're a quarterback and you have to throw the ball perfectly to make something happen, that's just stressful. Like I put more stock in that than I do in whatever quote-unquote quarterback pressure somebody had. Like I can see quarterbacks nervous and double-clutching because they're afraid to throw at certain guys. You know, it's impossible to really tell what defines pressure and what doesn't for a quarterback. So – I, I like molding a lot. Rice, I mean, I I'm an SEC fan. I watch, you know, I graduated from Tennessee. I've I've watched, you know, I, I watch SEC games. I watched plenty of Georgia. I could not have told you during the season who he was. Like he was just another cog in that machine. And you know, he's got the athleticism, the straight line speed, especially where he's just. So he runs like a four, 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 five or something. It's just, it's crazy. And like, maybe they like that because there's times on film where he just flies, but there's also times on film, like you said, where it's like, he, it looks like he's unsure of where he wants to go. Like sometimes he's directing traffic and he's pushing guys to where they're supposed to be. And he's fitting his gaps. And other times he's running full speed and he just takes such a terrible angle that you're like, know, what are you I, doing? I know I've said it three times, but you're just describing Rashawn Evans. No, it's different. Like Rashawn Evans is not committed to his movements. Like this guy, his feet are going everywhere, but he's still going in the right direction. Rashawn Evans stands still. Like he's more like David Long in that it's like he, it, it doesn't matter if he's going the wrong way. He's going to go there fast. Now uh, he's not as old. Uh, like, you know, his, his joints aren't as oily as, Jayon or David Long or anybody like that, but like in that in that version where it's like he's built to be a thumper between the tackles, that's true. But he at least he's moving. Like I, at the very least, he's not just like looking and looking and looking and looking and then not doing anything. Like that's what drives me crazy. If you're going to be bad or out of position, at least move. Don't stand still. Yeah, I like Molden. I think Rice is going to help them. Don't love necessarily the position in the draft he was picked. Uh, but we'll see what happens there. I talked a lot in the, the open about Molden adding to that versatility at corner. That would be really my only other comment on Molden. Let's get to the fourth round. I want to start with Fitzpatrick because the Weaver conversation is going to include some, some non-football stuff, as, as I'm sure everyone listening knows. So let's talk about Des Fitzpatrick. Titans, as you alluded to, Will, traded up in the fourth round to get Des Fitzpatrick, the wide receiver out of Louisville. A four-year starter, yet never had a 1,000-yard season. First wide receiver ever selected by John Robinson to not pass the Matthias Wadner rule of having two 1,000-yard seasons in college. And he failed to meet that despite, as I said, having four full seasons as a starting receiver, I'm going to be honest, I don't love the production. You know, we are used to, to Titans receivers hitting that two 1,000-yard season mark. And this was a guy who didn't hit that mark. And as I said, it wasn't because of COVID. It wasn't because of, of being buried on the depth chart or anything. He was a four-year starter and never hit that mark once. 
I think he can give them some good things. He's certainly better than the Nick Westbrook, Akeens, and Cameron Batsons of the world. Uh, but he's certainly not on Josh Reynolds' level, I don't think. And I wonder how much he's going to contribute in year one. What do we think about this pick, guys? Yeah, when the pick happened, I was a little... I, I didn't love it. I, I thought there were other receivers at, at that point where that made more sense. Uh, but after I watched a couple of game, of his games, I came away surprised at, at how much I did like him. I, I think he contribute uh, a lot. Uh, I think he could be better than Josh Reynolds. I think he might have a higher ceiling, even though he never really broke through at Louisville. Uh, like I said earlier, uh, they just never had great offenses. Yeah, they did with Lamar Jackson. Uh, but that was mostly through the ground because Lamar Jackson was such a good runner. Uh, and then after that, the quarterback situation wasn't good at all. They really weren't that good of a team. But he still produced relatively well. I mean, 800 yards, 635 yards, six touchdowns, and then th- three touchdowns. Like, it's okay. And he was also a big play guy uh, the last two seasons uh, in college. He had 18.1 yards per catch in 2019, and then 2020, 19.4 yards per catch. So he has a little bit of game-breaking ability and it does show up on film particularly after the catch so i like him i like him i I don't think he's gonna be uh anything special but i think he's gonna be a guy who can contribute and and can make things happen uh when you need him to so i'm okay with it Uh, i'm okay with the pick yeah i mean he was first or second in receiving yards every year in his his college career the only times he didn't have a quarterback change during the season was his first and his last year. And in his first year, he had 700 yards. And in his final year, he had like, what did we say, like almost 900 or something. Like, it's not the normal production we're used to seeing. And maybe this is a year where he gets away from, where Robinson gets away from that rule just because it's kind of the, you can experiment with it. But, you know, like, I, I don't think he's bad. Like, if he's a faster Tajay Sharp, like that's that's fine. Like faster, bigger Tajay Sharp. I I think all of us like Tajay Sharp on this podcast, just in general. So if you can get a young, cheap version of that for you know four years, you know as your wide receiver three, wide receiver four, you don't have to give up too much to get him. It's a fourth round pick. Like those guys usually don't hit anyway, no matter who it is. So yeah, like go. I mean, take your shot, get depth. It doesn't have to be somebody elite or anything like that. that's why we talked about a potential trade earlier. Like just get bodies in the room that you like and that are, you know, trustworthy and can do their job. And I think that's kind of what he is. Rest, rest in peace to my rule, by the way, they yeah. broke it twice. We're going to talk about racing oh, yeah. in a little Ra- bit, but I don't know that racy counts. Um, <laughs> Racy, Racy might be an exception Call to even, ca- even like counting against the rule. Let's get to uh, Weaver, guys. Uh, Rashad Weaver, the outside linebacker, edge rusher, whatever you want to call it, from Pittsburgh that the Titans took in the fourth round. All of our immediate reaction to this pick was, man, this is a steal. This guy had seven and a half sacks in nine games this past year at Pittsburgh. He's an edge guy at the senior bowl. He kicked inside and did some good things there. He was he's gonna he was gonna be the third rusher to to give Landry and Dupree some relief. He's gonna be a good sub package guy. Perhaps if Harold Landry wasn't re-signed after this year, maybe he could step in as the starter. 
And now who knows? Because he has been charged with simple assault in Pittsburgh, a charge that came through and onto the docket on April the 30th. And then the Titans drafted him on May the 1st. So you have two problems here. Number one, there's this floating assault charge on a player the Titans just drafted. But number two, it was a charge that was filed a day before he was drafted. Reports came out from Pittsburgh Post-Gazette and WKRN News 2 in Nashville about this Monday morning. Titans shortly thereafter released a statement saying that essentially this was news to them. They just learned about it. Uh, so, so quickly pleading ignorance were the Titans. Uh, Weaver's attorney came out and expressly denied this, said he did not punch a woman, which is what he's being accused of doing. There's also a quote in the police report where Weaver told police something to the effect of he was asked, was there any situation where you would punch a woman? And they sort of said, well, if she needed it, you know, if she deserved it, sure. Um, maybe maybe we should use the, the quote. Yeah. Not, just, not, not summarize. <laughs> well, I mean, that was an accurate paraphrase. I don't think I'm... I'm yeah, really yeah, I don't think you're misrepresenting, but... Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll pull up the exact quote just so that we don't have to uh, have the no-nonsense attorney on retainer step into... Uh, we, we don't have a Yeah, an get attorney. a cease and desist. Um, okay. I am an expert in bird law, but not... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> quote, does trial stuff, so... He told police, quote, that he had no problem hitting a female if they needed it, which is pretty sure what I said, so... Yeah. Anyway, but, hey, I, I was I was worried how you're feeling it out. I, I didn't know the quote <laughs> exactly, but I was like, I, I, well, let's just use the quote. And and now you have uh, Paul Kaharski coming out who asked who spent this afternoon afternoon asking around. He got two scouts from two different teams to comment. One of them said they did know about this on the on the third day of the draft. The other one said they did not know about this on the third day of the draft. No way around it, guys. This is a bad look for the Titans. I mean, we're fresh off the Isaiah Wilson thing. Say what you will about that. From now on, John Robinson is going to get judged a lot harsher on this character stuff because of the Isaiah Wilson debacle. It's just how life works, right? And and so that's certainly where my mind went when this happened. And it had to for both of you, right? Oh, no, not this again, right? Yeah, yeah, that that is where my mind went to. Uh, it's tough because I like I, I want to let the process play out, but oh, yeah. I know we have to talk about it. Um, I don't know, like I, I don't know how to feel really, and, and I don't know. I, I don't know if I believe the Titans that they really had no idea um, that that it had happened. Like I mean, my first reaction was that, oh man, here we go again. We have to questioning john robinson not 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 john robinson in particular but i guess just yeah whoever's doing the background checks because something is clearly clearly keeps slipping through the cracks uh but it really has only happened it's happened twice like it was the isaiah wilson thing and now this one yeah you had the jeffrey simmons situation but but all the information had been out already with that and then someone mentioned the kevin dodd situation what did that have to do with with anything, he just, he didn't really, he, just he wasn't sucked. good, and he didn't, 
<laughs> yeah, I know. Like, I don't know. I don't know what that had to do with anything. But I saw someone try to make that connection to these other ones. I really think it's only been the Isaiah Wilson situation and, and now this. So I don't know how much weight to put into the the tied ins uh, background checkers and their character department. But I don't know. This is a tough situation for me. I, I want to let this process play out. Uh, and, and we'll see what happens. Yeah, I, I quickly yeah. want to say three things before Will chimes in that I was thinking of. As you were talking. No, no, this is just commenting on what Matias just said. First of all, 100% agree. You have to let the due process play out. I'm not in the witch hunting business. I don't, I'm not going to sit here and say, well, you know, this SOB did, you know, I, I don't play that game. We're going to let the evidence come out and the due process happen. I will say this. If he said what he said to that cop, or he said, you know, if she needs it, I'll give it to her essentially – uh, that's bad. I, I don't like that. And, I, and, you know, say what you will about locker room talk and, and, and whatever. I, I don't want someone on my football team that behaves that way. But also this, regardless, if the due process comes out and this dude was totally innocent and it never happened, it was all bogus, the fact that the Titans didn't know that one of their own draftees was charged with assault is still a problem. The Titans' ignorance here will be a problem regardless of what the evidence is because it shows a, a an issue with their system. And, and the fact that, you know, with Jeffrey Simmons, like you said, this was something we knew about, and they came out, had a big fan, press conference with lots of fanfare and pomp and circumstance about, you know, we're letting this guy face the media, and, and he's going to— He's going to look you in the eye and explain what he did, and, and we're behind him. We're, he's moving on to a new – there was none of that with this because they didn't know what happened. It was all – it was ignorance. And if they had said, you know if, – if John Robinson had said on Friday – now I'm going to make you all aware. Uh, you're going to see this tomorrow. It's going to come out. This dude was charged with assault. However, we've looked into it. We've talked to him. It didn't happen. His name's going to get cleared. Just trust us on that. But there was none of that. They just look like they were caught with their pants down. Well, first off, you can't you can't talk about an open investigation if you if they did know. So is they could talk about Simmons. Say, is there some law yeah. that applies to the yeah, Titans yeah, yeah, that yeah, doesn't yeah. apply to us right now? I mean, I I'm pretty sure you're not allowed to like give information from somebody. I mean, unless you're an attorney. I, now. I could be wrong. You, you're a trial lawyer. Matthias knows bird law. <laughs> Not like, a trial I, lawyer. I, I Please don't, don't tell I, I don't, that. I don't know, but they they usually they usually say like you know we're not going to comment on an ongoing investigation. Like that's usually the general line. That's just like, a cop out. So you say whatever you I mean, want to say. That's all. That's all the legal system is for the most part is a series of cop outs and you know. <laughs> Uh, like try, trying to trying to figure out uh, the right syntax to you. Like it's all just it's all just words for the most part. People you know people get off all the time for doing bad things. That's why Antonio Brown will go to the Hall of Fame and not jail. And it's I mean there's there's a million instances of this. I mean Ray Lewis played while he was murdered. I mean whatever. So here's the thing about this. Like there's no way to talk about this without making it a witch hunt because. It, it's out there like, like we live in a world of social media where i mean it it is it is what it is like i mean we like it's it's out there like if it's not a punch and it's a shove if it's you know no physical contact but she fell and like he said that to the cop like any of it's all gonna be bad like i don't care if this turns out to be aaron in terms of assessing blame on the titans not on weaver 
if this comes out to be like the Aaron Donald fiasco where it was just the misidentification, this is still awful for the Titans that they didn't know about this, and it shows a flaw in their system. Yeah, I mean, I guess I just, I I don't know. Like, that that's not the way I interpret this. Because like, your boy if, John Robinson's infallible. I mean, I think you just want to throw, I, I think you like to do, like, I think you like to be well, like, okay, here's a big point that we need to talk about, but also there's several things that might come out. Like, Kaharski said that there was another scout that didn't know, so it's not like it was common knowledge in the scouting community. There was no charges pressed until the what the day of the first round of the draft, so the day before the second. I mean, you don't do background checks the day of. Like, you can't background check 60 people up to the minute. Like, I, I understand that you're saying that the incident happened before that. I, I understand what you're saying. I'm also saying that there is a lot of this, which is very much we know this information the process hasn't played letting it play out let's give our opinion on it because nobody likes domestic violence like everybody is against this if it's true like i i don't know like i i don't i and i'm not i'm not saying it's you specifically i i do think you sometimes do like to trump things up not this not illegal things but people that i like and john robinson in general you like to throw a little bit of shade but that's not what this – I mean, th- I'm not saying that's what this is about. My point is I just don't like the general consensus that it came out this morning. I think it was Emily Proud that said it, that like he punched a woman. And then later that got changed because people didn't get all their facts and all their information. Like that's my problem is we've got several conflicting things that have been said. And then it's like – I feel like there's some redundancy that we're going to have to get into where it's like, okay, everybody should say, I guess for the record, that if he punched a woman or if he grabbed her by the neck and threw her on the ground, he should not be a Titan. He should be in jail. That's, I mean, that's assault. Like there's no, there's no defending that. Nobody should try to, but I also don't like the culture that we're in now where it's immediately, you know, shun these people. And then, what three months if he gets a sack nobody's going to talk about it i mean it i don't know it's like the same thing with deshaun watson like everything goes radio silent for you know months at a time i I don't know i i think there's too much show going on here but i don't know that's that's just my opinion matthias uh i don't know what else i could say about the legal situation i can say that this was probably my favorite pick from an on-field perspective, I thought he would have fit really well into the defense and would have given us. Well, if he he might still play for us, we have no idea. Uh, I probably will. Play, I mean, I think, that, that. Let's be honest; he's gonna play for the Titans. Like, yeah, I I think so too. And I, I, I really like this pick because he was really productive in college. He's kind of a tweener between a three-four linebacker, four-three defensive end. Uh, he reminds me a little bit of Derek Morgan. He's probably a better run defender than he is a pure pass rusher. Uh, but I think he would work out really well as a, a third edge or, or even a guy that could play inside in a pinch. So hopefully he does play for for us. If 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 he didn't do any wrongdoing, I'm trying to cover my bases here. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
let's move on to the sixth round and talk about the two players the Titans added at the end of the draft. LSU receiver slash special teamer Racy McMath, who I believe totaled like an average of 200 yards a year receiving. It's not much of an impact at receiver, but by all accounts was a uh, phenomenal gunner, uh, sort of in the mold of what Chris Milton was for the Titans for the last two years. And then they took Brady Breeze, a safety from Oregon, who, you know, there's a reason he fell to the sixth round. But if you look at this guy, I think he's very instinctive. He, he's always kind of around the ball. He's, he's that type of guy. He's just not athletically where you need to be to be a high NFL draft pit on the first two days of the draft. And so he falls to them in the sixth round. He also is a special teams player, which I think gives him a chance to make the team. And I think because of his intellect, his ability to understand a defense, and his knack for being around the ball, I think he could become someone who competes with Dane Cruikshank for snaps as that third safety. Uh, I think they got two good players in the sixth round. In the sixth round, you're looking for guys who are going to make the team. You're not looking for transformational guys. The Titans made the mistake in trying to find the transformational guys with those awful quarterbacks they drafted. McDonald was in the seventh round, but Falk was in the sixth round. I think they did well here. Got two players who, like I said, are going to make the team, I'm pretty sure, and uh, could make a good impact for them. Yeah, I mean, they're both special teams picks, I think. And if you get anything other than that from them, then it's just a bonus. Uh, McMath probably more so than Brady Breeze because, I don't know, just like he seems more athletic. Uh, he's 6'3", 224, and apparently he's very fast. Uh, he looks huge. He looks huge in the in the game film that they showed of him. Uh, so we'll see if he can actually develop as a receiver. Thankfully, he, we're not going to trot him out there yet. He'll start on special teams. And like you said, by all accounts, he's a fantastic special teamer, uh, which we do need because we lost Chris Milton, who was – arguably our best special team player uh, last year, and he's not on the team anymore. So if either McMath or Brady Breeze can fill in there, then it's already a, a win for, for John Robinson. Yeah, I, I don't I don't know how much more to say just because that, that is kind of what both of these guys are, just special teamers. Like, you hope that uh, McMath is uh, like an upgrade over Khalif Raymond, just a bigger version of that special teams guy who's got four three four speed. But I mean, I don't know. I've I've tried to wean myself off falling in love with late day three prospects because in three mu- in two months it'll just make me look silly because it'll be like okay, well they yeah. actually signed two people and they like them more and this guy's on the practice squad and it's like ah well I shouldn't get my hopes up so like you said Luke like it's it's all about finding people who can make the roster and these guys have special team ability so it's not like they went out and signed you know like a fifth offensive tackle that they're going to cut or like a four foot two running back or any of those guys this episode has been a little bit like drinking uh, from a fire hose just because we've had so much to talk about with, with the draft and, and so many topics we didn't even get into. And with a lot of these players, we just sort of had to give a Cliff Notes version or, or this episode would have been three hours long, uh, which is great because we're going to have more episodes for you coming very soon before we sign off for the summer. We are going to take next week off. Then after that, we're going to be talking to uh, Justin Mello again at some point. 
He's going to join us, and we'll recap the draft with him, get his thoughts on all of the Titans picks. Uh, I've talked to uh, – this is probably news to the two of you. I, have, for whatever reason, hadn't told you about this yet. Uh, ben Arthur, the new beat writer for the Tennessean, uh, is going to be joining us at some point to uh, sort of introduce himself to Titans fans, if you will, and talk to us about what he thought about the Titans draft and his initial impressions of the team as someone who is new to this beat and to covering the Titans. Um uh, would you like to get Ben Albright on this show? I don't know that we could. Uh, I can certainly shoot him an email. Because um, he had some stuff with Farley that I think would be interesting to talk about. I would like that. I would like to hear his point of view on the Broncos not taking Justin Fields at nine. That would be an interesting conversation to have. With yeah. Him. Yeah, he's so, super interesting. We'll try to make that happen. I'll sh- we'll shoot him an email. Uh, so we've got plenty of more content and draft talk coming up, like I said, before we sign off for the summer. Uh, and then, you know, before you know it, it'll be time for training camp, and then we'll be right back into it. Uh, but we thank you for, for being with us for our draft coverage. We hope you've enjoyed it. It's not over yet. There's still plenty more to come. Uh, I, almost, I almost ended the episode. <laughs> I forgot about the most important part. Which is stop, I'm going to sign off. We still got to do Stop the Nonsense, guys. Uh, I'll, I'll go first, since I'm, I might have uh, given you whiplash there. Um, so my Stop the Nonsense is this, and I was making fun of this to you guys Thursday night. So NFL Network is the, the network that I choose to watch the draft on. I love Rich Eisen and uh, Daniel Jeremiah and Joel Klatt and Charles Davis and all the guys they have on there. I, I think they're super top-notch. But the one thing that I despise about their broadcast is with every pick just about they would have a player comparison now I love player comparison because I think it adds context to a lot of these picks but some of the comparisons they were making were just weird I wrote down two they compared Zach Wilson the the Jets quarterback to a combo of Joe Burrow and Russell Wilson I can see the Russell Wilson because they had just talked about him being like almost like a shortstop at quarterback but and, and that's kind of what Wilson is, though, with a lot more speed. I don't see how that's Joe Burrow. That was weird. There were others that I thought were weird, too. But this one is the one that got me. Patrick Sertan, selected by the Broncos at 9. They comped him to Richard Sherman. Now, first of all, I, I generally despise uh, comps to future Hall of Famers. I think that it, it creates unrealistic expectations. But stylistically, Patrick Sertan is nothing like Richard Sherman. Richard Sherman is a former college receiver who plays cover three trail technique better than maybe anyone ever has. And he is excellent at baiting the quarterback and getting interceptions and and, and just totally um, uh, uh, blanketing a receiver with that trail technique. And that's what makes him so good, and it's why he was so feared when he was in his prime with Seattle. Patrick Sertan is a press man coverage cornerback who wins at the line of scrimmage. Stylistically, these two players aren't alike. Richard Sherman's also like 6'3", nearly 6'4". Patrick Sertan is not. It's just a bizarre comparison, and one of many that I thought were... It wasn't like, what are you doing here? It was just... Some weird comparisons, I thought. That's my stop the nonsense. 
Mine's mine's sort of similar just in the terms that it deals with the coverage that we had to watch. So I I y'all know this because y'all basically watched the draft with me at this point, but I hate it when people tip the picks. Like I hate it when there's any mention of like I hate it when Luke says, Oh, that's interesting because he's on Twitter. I hate it because sometimes I'll hear somebody's mic is like a little bit faster than mine and I'll hear like the first part of the name. Like I hate all that. So there's so much talk about how, you know, we're not going to tip the picks. We're not going to do this. But NFL Network continued to go to Ian Rappaport anytime there was something like there was going to be a surprise pick. They would cut to Ian Rappaport and he'd be like, I'm hearing that the Denver Broncos actually want to go defense here instead of quarterback. And it's like, what? Uh, what are you talking about? Like, it's like, why would why would you cut to somebody outside of the building to say that? It's like you basically tip the hand. Like, it's as much of like it's mine as you might as well show like a picture of the player on the field with like their name blurred out and be like I think they like this guy like it's so aggravating to see so like for all the talks of like we're not going to tip picks on ESPN you get them cutting to players answering their phones and like them celebrating not even in the frame and then on NFL Network you get Ian Rappaport somehow mystically giving insight on picks that haven't happened and why they might happen and I, I hate that I'm going to piggyback off of that because that was part of my stop the nonsense. ESPN with Justin Fields, they cut to his his uh, his <laughs> family room. There's no one there. They're clearly celebrating the pick off screen. It's unbelievable. So they totally ruined that pick. And then also on NFL Network, it wasn't Rappaport for me. It was Peter Schrager. He completely ruined the Christian Barmore pick by saying – I think this is going to be an SEC defensive lineman. Oh, oh, who could it possibly be? Who I didn't could know it possibly that. Be? I hadn't heard that yet. Yeah, and also the the Bears taking Tevin Jenkins is like uh, I think they mo- they moved up here for an offensive lineman. Oh, who could it possibly be? The only offensive lineman that's worth taking <laughs> at this pick. So so that bothered me. And yeah, that was also my stop the nonsense. But it was it was annoying. Like I know they have tried to minimize the tip picking but it's it's almost just as bad as it used to be yeah yeah it was uh see i don't mind that stuff though like i i get the i want to be surprised when but like i don't mind that you know rap sheet comes on i'm here and they like tackle here i i don't know I, I do mind the, like, showing the empty couch and the, uh, I think this is going to be an SEC, you know, that that's going too far. Yeah, yeah. I, I also, like, I mute a lot of people on Twitter during the draft because I don't <laughs> like seeing the pics on Twitter. But this might be the last year that I'm like that because, honestly, the broadcasts are so far behind. And... It's just annoying, man. Like, there will be three picks that still have to be announced, and they bring out this slow walker, and they're so far behind on the picks that it's just it's it's annoying at this point. Honestly, I don't know how much longer uh, I, I'm going to follow through with only watching the broadcast and staying off of Twitter. All right, that's going to do it for us. I've already teased what's coming up, so be sure to stay tuned for all of that. We'll be off next week and then back the week after that. Until then, for Will and Matthias, I'm Luke, reminding you and everyone else in the sports world to stop the nonsense.
For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.